0: Thank you for joining us from wherever you are. This is the SBS Replay podcast from the NYU School of Professional Studies Student Council. This season, we are proud to present our How I Got Here lunchtime series, where we listen to the stories of our professors, alumni, and members of our community about their career, their journey, and how they got here. This week, we are joined by Stephen Pei, Professor Stephen Pei is a technology executive with deep industry experience in financial services. He has worked for multiple major corporations, including Bank of America, PwC, and Morgan Stanley. He held senior global positions in both technology and product development. Stephen also serves as a national board member for the nonprofit organization ASIN. He is an adjunct professor at NYU SBS in the Project Management and Information Technology program. The original session was recorded on Zoom and was hosted by Shaquin Tao.
1: The floor is yours, Professor Pei.
2: Thank you so much. You know, I have to first say Shikin, April, uh, Susan, who I just met, and Astrid, thank you so much for putting on this fabulous event. And I'm really honored to be asked to be talking here with all of you and I hope to make this time um, you know useful for you. So we will have a formal part of the presentation as you're used to from the prior discussions as well as Q&A because I really want to hear from you and what's really relevant from a question perspective. I have two important questions that I want to ask all of you if you can partake in and this will play into some of the discussions I'll have later but if you can quickly answer how many of you believe you can be a CEO of a company one day? Yes or no. Well, the answers are coming in. I'll refresh it one more time just to kind of get an idea. Well, it's great that a lot of you said, yes, that's amazing. You know, I'm really happy about that. Let me move on to the next question because next question is what do you think holds you back from achieving your ideal job? So love to hear from you one word. What do you think holds you back? There are people chatting it right now. So, Thank you for connecting visa, language, opportunities, network, age. Okay. All right. This is very helpful for me. Well, thank you for participating in those quick two surveys. Uh, They'll play into the presentation later and even probably some of the Q&A if you wanted to ask later. So let me talk a little bit. So a little bit about myself, just to kind of give you a background. I was born in South Korea. I came to the U.S. when I was five. Obviously I had no choice back then. My parents uh, brought me here with a sister. Um, I was taught to make sure that I studied really hard in school and achieve what I could achieve and get a, you know go to a great college and get a great job. And I'm sure all of you have the similar uh, you know, culture and upbringing and your parents are advising you the same way. So I lived in New York City. I went to Brooklyn Technical High School. Um, And then I attended Cornell University as uh, in the engineering school, got a BS there. And the engineering route, I really thought about because I wanted to stay technical and math and science, you know, typical for, um, you know, I guess a lot of people that came from Asia were kind of where I gravitated toward. So I studied engineering. Specifically, people ask me what engineering, I studied semiconductor physics. So it's kind of like material engineering and electrical combined. So it's a very specialized areas um, where, where, I talk, where I studied the semiconductor physical properties of material. And then I decided after I got a job that I wanted to further enhance my career by going to NYU. And I got my Stern MBA in finance while I was still working at Goldman Sachs. A couple of um, early, I would say, jobs that I had that made a huge impression on me. You know, at the Cornell Engineering School, I spent two summers as a co-op program in national semiconductor in santa clara california where i learned how to fabricate semiconductor chips and those clean rooms i don't know if you remember those clean rooms but our human body gives off a lot of i would say particles every day which we don't know of so i have to put on a full body suit and an oxygen tank right and a mask Uh, i guess that would that could actually be helpful these days with covid but i had that on i went into the lab and actually fabricated semiconductor chips so that was my job for a couple of summers while I was in school. And that had a lot of uh, influence on me, which I'll talk about later. Today, I'll talk a little bit about what I do. Um, I work on the board of Ascend. I'm a mentor to many different students and young professionals. And I also very stay very involved in the fintech community. I'm an investor, an angel investor, as well as an advisor for a few fintech companies today. So my professional journey. So most people like to you know understand how I got to where I am. When I graduated Cornell, I joined Goldman Sachs in the analyst program, in the technology analyst program, and I was a really good programmer back then and as an individual contributor. As I've developed, you know, some of my leadership skills, I've moved on to different organizations and ran organizations and ran groups. So my next stop was at Bank of America, where as a managing director doing electronic trading. Electronic trading is the trading of, let's say, stocks and indexes and uh, FX, where I was fortunate that computers were being used very heavily to trade stocks, right? Today, when you put in an order for a stock, let's say at Schwab or ETrade, you know, it seems to happen miraculously instantaneously. Back when I was trading, you had to actually call a broker. You couldn't do it online. There was no technology to do that. Technology was only uh, affordable to the ultra rich. So you had to actually go through a broker and there was a lot of rules around it. So I was one of the first ones with many, you know, many other, com- uh, people in the company to develop an electronic trading platform for uh, bank of America. And then I moved on to Morgan Stanley, uh, doing head of product. And the significance there for me in my career evolution is that I started to run bigger groups and more groups outside of technology. So this, this involved technology as well as product development and marketing. So a lot of different areas I started to expand into. And then, Most recently, my last job, I was the CIO and COO for business capital for CIT, where I ran an entire division of all of the technology and operations. So that was my, um, I would say, largest job ever. I managed over 1,200 people in my organization, um, many of them technology and operations. But I got an opportunity to really expand and understand how do you manage large groups and large uh, divisions. So that was a, a really good opportunity for me. So how I got here, like I mentioned, I was uh, joined Goldman Sachs as a new analyst in a college hire program. Early on, you know, even at the analyst program, you're always being measured and observed, right? So at Goldman Sachs, even though we were joining a training program, I knew that we were being measured and we were also being graded. But I always excelled in these type of environments just because of my upbringing, and I was actually selected to be a team captain for one of the final projects. We were, there were like five of them out of a hundred, like class of 150. So I was elected captain and we worked on a final project. I don't think I won, but I think we came in the top three. I made VP at Goldman in the minimum amount of time, which was five years out of school. So that's kind of the earliest you can make VP. And I actually received one of my first patents for a mobile trading system at New York Stock Exchange. When the New York Stock Exchange was going electronic, if, if some of you imagine some of the old pictures of New York Stock Exchange, there's a lot of chaos, people, paper, all of that was replaced by electronic uh, trading systems. And I, was, I actually received the patent for developing the first one for the New York Stock Exchange through Goldman Sachs. So I'm very proud of that. My challenge as I got to where I am is always thinking about how do I move from an individual contributor to being a leader, a manager, and then a leader, right? To me, these are different skill sets in different ways you operate. And people sometimes ask me, you know, how do you kind of evolve that way? I specifically have lessons that I've learned that I can talk about for sure. My definition of a manager is someone that looks at the strengths and individual strengths of each person and try to maximize their performance, right? And maximize how they produce output for the organization. So you have to look at the differences. A leader actually is the opposite. The leader looks for common themes and common missions that bonds people together and rally around. So those are two different skill sets. And some people are really good at one, but not the other. And really you need to understand when to use which technique when, you, when you've learned to become a manager or a leader. So those are some of the things that I've learned and I've actually have been challenged doing that myself over the my course of my career. Some of my lessons learned that throughout my entire career, uh, even now is always listen, right? Some of us are too busy in this world of multitasking, especially like online, it's too easy to fall into a trap of, you know, being part of the conversation, but never really listening and never really contributing, especially if it doesn't, if you feel like it's not something that, you know, is valuable to you, but always, always think about listening, especially if the person is spending the time preparing something that they want to talk about, even if it's not specifically for you. And I'll talk more about that later as well. If you, for those of you that want to be a CEO one day, be objective and be kind. I always uh, remember the story at Goldman Sachs where the CEO of the company talked about being kind to the security guard or the mailroom clerk, right? At the company. It starts with those type of behaviors so that you really understand what being kind is to everybody. So that's something that I've uh, instilled uh, in my organizations as well. You know, feedback is a gift and I always think about when you talk to people about feedback and provide some I'd say provide some learning lessons. Always listen, but also focus on the facts and the behavior and not on the person. It's too easy to take feedback or give feedback about the person, but really focus on the behavior and the facts. And that really keeps it objective. And I accept all feedback to me with curiosity. And that's always, I think, a good way to learn by. It's easy to get defensive when someone uh, criticizes you or provides you with negative feedback, but really approach it as curiosity. Like, why does the person think that way? You know, what can I learn from that? And I think that will serve you really well um, in the future as you think about how to evolve and become a better person, but also grow your career. So here are some of the key small lessons that I've learned that I want to share. One career advice I would love to give to this audience is about building a lifelong career. Right, And the questions that I asked early on is now playing into this part of the conversation. I asked all of you how many of you want to be a CEO one day and resoundingly, a lot of you thought you want to be a CEO and you can be a CEO. That's great. When I asked that question to like an analyst class at Goldman Sachs, you know, a lot of people are ambitious, but a lot of people are pretty, you know, also moderate in the sense that they haven't thought that far. And my uh, challenge to all of you and how you think is always think really far about ultimately where you want to be in your career. Don't think one step ahead or two steps ahead. Think like five steps ahead. Right. Do you want to be as the CEO of company? Do you want to be the head of marketing for a company? Don't think about that one or two steps. Think about that long step that you're going to eventually have. Because career is a marathon, right? No longer are you going to have a job for 20 years and then kind of retire, 25 years retire. Your job is going to be a culmination of different experiences and different people that you're going to meet and work with. But think about that long goal. And because that's going to change your thinking and how you operate today, right? If you think about just that one step later. It's a different set of behaviors that you're going to have today versus if you think about that final step or that big, big opportunity that you want, like a CEO of a company. Because what I've learned throughout my career is you are, we each are our own worst enemy. You know, you can't think about other things holding you back. You know, some of you mentioned language, visa, network, right? That's why I asked that question. But what I found is that the people with those kind of thoughts really hold themselves back right? And um, it's really, you know, we limit ourselves in terms of what we can do. I really think each of us has the opportunity to be a CEO of a company, whether it's your own company or a company that you're going to be hired into. But don't limit yourself into that one job or the one opportunity and think about, you know, multiple steps up. I'll give you an example. Um, when you are, you know, when you're in a meeting with a, a group of people, whether it's, you know, um, whether for a project or even for schoolwork, you know, maybe you're doing one thing and you're in a meeting to talk about that one thing. Maybe you're in, I'm just gonna say marketing, right? As an example. And you're gonna listen to the marketing part of that meeting, but there'll be other parts, other team members in that meeting that are gonna present their pieces, whether it's technology, operations, right? Business strategy, you all come together. If you had the thought that you're only gonna be in marketing and your next job is to be the VP of marketing, you're gonna tune in only on that marketing part right? You're only going to listen to that. You're only going to care about that. But the person that thinks about, Hey, I eventually want to run this company. I really want to do more than marketing is going to listen to everybody. And they're going to be really focused on on all parts of the conversation. And that's was a, a key differentiator for me. As I was developing my career, I was a technologist. I was a programmer. I came into these team meetings to give an update on the work that I was doing, or my small team was doing at the time but i really stayed focused and paid attention to every part of the business whether it was business strategy marketing operations risk and people saw me as someone not just a technologist but as a, a business leader and that's how you know i thought about uh, in terms of what i wanted to do eventually you know having a big opportunity and a big job that i need to learn every part of part of this project and every part of this organization for me to have that opportunity to eventually run an organization as I did before. So we limit ourselves and don't limit yourselves to that next opportunity. Always think about that big opportunity you want and that will unlock behaviors that you have today to make that happen. Consider your life values and your strengths and what makes you happy. You know, there's this, um, I know it's a competing organization, but Yale has one of their famous online classes in terms of the the science of happiness. And I've took that class over the, you know, pandemic summer. And I really enjoyed it because it talks about, you know, how you think, how you think about happiness and what really makes people happy. And part of it is also finding your strengths and your values and combining that to find the opportunity that you, you really want to be uh, working at for many years in your professional career. And then finally, get out of your comfort zone. I know we're, it's too easy to be in your comfort zone. You hear this phrase, but it does happen. All of us, you know, fall trapped to it, including myself. You know, take on new challenges, take on new opportunities and get up and meet new people, and do new things. Because whenever you have that new opportunity to do something, meet someone, take on a new activity, a new hobby, it comes with it, the opportunity to, you know, find uh, new ideas, new cultures, new people. And you never know how what that all that mixed together is going to provide for you in terms of future opportunities. And I always live with this motto, becoming, becoming a better version of yourself every day. Next day, you should always be a better version of yourself because you learned something, you taught something to others, or you volunteered and you helped others. And I really do feel that you know, every day you should make sure that there's something that made you better for the next day. So that's um, that's my quick advice here. And I really would like to take any questions and any thoughts on anything I said. But you know, my, my thinking here is that don't limit yourself, right? Think many steps ahead, and that will drive the behavior that you exhibit today. So let me pause there and hand it back to Shakeen and team to see, uh, to go on to the next step.
1: All right. Thank you so much for going through all of the career advice, your life path, and then all of the different insights and tips that you've given us. I know that I feel very much inspired since I've had class with you and also from my experience at Ascend. So I think my next question would be, um, could you please talk a little bit more about Ascend? Because I feel like it's a big part in, it also very much applies to NYU, the way it tackles diversity, inclusion, acceptance. Yeah. Could you please describe a little bit your work at Ascend?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I've been part of Ascend for about eight years now as a board member, and I've been acting more and more as the acting executive director at Ascend, but I'm still a volunteer. But Ascend is a full lifecycle organization. That's the first way I describe it, where it's a membership-based organization um, that focuses on how Asian-Americans specifically, and we're not, you know, we're not uh, exclusive to Asian-Americans, but a lot of our content and our programming is for Asian-Americans, how they evolve and learn and eventually, you know, succeed in their career. So we have members that are student members. So we have 50 different university chapters, one of them from uh, NYU, and NYU has an Ascend chapter. We have 18 different city chapters. So major cities like New York have professional chapters. And we touch over 40,000 members across Canada and the U.S. And the work in Ascend is amazing. I mean, we do work so that combination of, you know, research for Asian Americans in the workforce, we do programming. We just came off of a a long, as Shikin knows, a long virtual conference. We held it virtually for the first time. And we have programmings that help professionals think about their careers. Uh, We have programming specific on uh, subject matter expertise, like technology. We also, like Shaquin said, do a lot of work in DNI and focusing uh, on diversity and inclusion. So we have a lot of uh, the employee resource groups. These are DNI groups within companies. come, participate in forums. We've done discussions around allyship. We've done discussions around creating you know, creating your happiness and how do you give back. So we had some great speakers, including academic speakers, uh, around um, you know, living your dream and living your goals. We've also done some unique programming this year around our impact challenge, having Ascend members come together and solve for the uh, pandemic-induced problems for small businesses. So Ascend, again, is a full lifecycle organization offering programming, offering memberships, uh, offering the opportunity for anyone, quite frankly, to take advantage of some of the learns and lessons learned there. I also always feel like between Ascend, my work at Goldman, as well as NYU, it kind of weaves together because people do ask me, like, how do you do all three? And I don't think of it as separate things anymore. I think of it as one stream of work that integrates well. Uh, like Shakeen you know, she is a NYU student and she had the opportunity to volunteer to do some great work at Ascend. And then from Ascend, I've, I've worked and had a couple of meetings with our DNI uh, executives at NYU to talk about some of the events that we want to do with in partnership with NYU as well. So, I think of it as a, an amazing organization that I can give back to um, and continue to help students as well as professionals.
1: Thank you so much for describing that and also just connecting it with NYU because I think that was that was actually my next follow-up question to how it all ties together. But I feel like before I dive in, I also want to pause and just open it up. I just want to see if anyone here has any questions. You can type them in the chat to me privately or just unmute yourself and
3: yeah question. Professor Pace, I think, you know, something that we always talk about in this How I Got Here series is obviously your journey to how you are, where you are today. Mm-hmm. But from A to Z, there's a lot of steps in between, right? So yeah. um, something that you have here, your career advice, is get out of your comfort zone. And I think that that's something, especially now with the transition that we're living, you know, we're living in a pandemic, right? And we're we're seeing transitions in every aspect of our life, personal, professional, academic. So, you know, getting out of our comfort zone sometimes is forced on us, right? right? So I think my question for you is, what steps or what checklist or what advice do you have right when when we're either forced out of our comfort zone or decide to make that step decide to make that transition say, you know what this just isn't for me we have to make a change what advice do you have for those not only students but those, those individuals like what are, what are the you take a step back and say okay these are the things i have to run down what's your advice for that
2: Yeah, I think about it differently for students and professionals. I think from a professional standpoint, you know, I think of my career in five-year increments. And I think about what I'm going to learn and do in five years. And if I see that, you know, if I see that what I'm going to learn and do in five years doesn't really align to my ultimate goal that I have, I really do take a step back and think about how do I retool that and, you know, to the best of my ability to control it, how do I do a different role, a different job, work with different people? So that's kind of more about proactive, um, proactive. I would say thinking and planning. In terms of, you also mentioned how sometimes it's forced on you, and that does happen, right? Whether um, you know you're you have a new manager and the new manager decides that professionally, you know, I want to have a different team. They decide that you need to move to a different role, or the organization decides that they want to shut down a business or they want to shut down a division or they have to go through layoffs, as an example. So those are all um, in real life transitions that can happen to anyone. I have experience doing that to, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, doing that to other people as well in my career. When that happens to you, I, I say to the professionals, is this a good thing? You know, number one, think about it because it could have been aligned to what you're thinking in the long run anyway, in terms of making a change. If it isn't a good thing, I would say, Think about, you know, what you can achieve out of this through the transition, especially, you know, when I think about the pandemic right now, which is forcing a lot of transitions for professionals, use this opportunity to really retool, re-tool yourself and then think about what's going to make you happy in your career. Many people talk about they have to learn new skills, especially in this uh, new environment that's virtual. Many of the professors here had to learn how to do Zoom and become more proficient in Zoom. Some more proficient than others. I had to pick up a lot of uh, new ways of, you know, teaching as well. Um, but I do think that I do think that these transitions, um, especially if I use the pandemic as an example, allows all of us to accelerate our learning. And I think of it as kind of like when you get criticism, you think of it as curiosity and understanding why. I think of these forced transitions as an opportunity. And what is the opportunity for all of you and all of the professionals out there to really retool themselves? And maybe go toward that uh, ultimate north star opportunity that you want, whether it's a CEO of a company, for example. For students, I think the pandemic, and I've you know spoken at a few of these conferences. I think for students, it's really mind-blowing to me how much this is impacting students. I mean, a lot of students, um, you know, are looking for opportunities. They're looking for mentors. They're not getting that you know physical interaction as much as they used to. There's a lot more. I would say extra stuff they have to do right right now because of the pandemic. I do think that one of the things that the pandemic has played rev- favorably to students is the reach outs because now that everyone's pretty much remote, they're used to connecting virtually, whether it's through LinkedIn, whether it's through, through you know other channels virtually. and I think people are getting used to it much more than before. And um, it doesn't feel awkward anymore when people reach out to you randomly and says, hey, you know, I saw you on LinkedIn or I saw you at this conference. Can we, can we um, connect and catch up? It feels natural a lot more than before. And I think a lot of people that were unfamiliar with this way of connecting and really cultivating a relationship, especially um, the professionals and the, the hiring managers that you wanna talk to are getting more comfortable and they're getting this opportunity to really learn the technology and use it to the fullest ability. I would say these kind of uh, relationships, I won't talk too much about mentoring, really is two ways as well. I mean, you you heard that these type of relationships are two ways and I really feel that way because it's not, it's not that you have to think about how you're helping someone else um, to get something, you know, to get help from them. The other person should also think about how they're gonna get help from you. So whenever I have a mentoring relationship, I also think about, you know, what am I getting out of the relationship? um, as well, because it has to be mutually beneficial. And I talk about that, uh, when I spoke before previously at a conference around finding the right mentors and and well how do you make sure that the right mentors are the ones for you as you ultimately, uh, decide what you want to do. So long-winded answer, but I do think to, you know, sum it up, use these opportunities, right. As advantages to ultimately get to the career that you want, uh, leverage the, Leverage the mindset that has changed for many professionals in terms of using technology to connect and, you know, you now with technology, connect at scale, quite frankly. And third is accept changes as opportunities, quite frankly, and how that can really help you in the long run. Those are the three things I would uh, summarize.
3: That's awesome advice. And I think it also coming from, you know, someone you might relate to more. I mean, I know in the beginning you said, you know, a lot of us might have similar upbringings in terms of, you know, either being the first to go to college or being the first to being the first to do a lot of things. So hearing that, I think, does bring a lot of comfort to those of us who are going through that currently. Um, So I appreciate your, your openness and your honesty
1: in sharing that. No. Thank you for your question I feel like it was a great segue into what I wanted to bring up next about how you've managed to transition so smoothly into the pandemic. Quick facts. I was actually in a Professor Pace class when it all started. So in March, when we, we had the announcement that classes were going to go from in-person to virtual. I actually started off the semester in Professor Pay's class, and all of a sudden, everyone was just scrambling to figure out how Zoom worked, and then everyone was also figuring out where they were going to study, whether it was at home or still in New York. So it was a crazy transition, but under Professor Pay's leadership, we, we were able to, as you said, really see this crisis as an opportunity, and we took it with a lot of curiosity because you were able to really leverage Zoom as a As a really good tool to still connect with your students and not as an obstacle for teaching. And I think that it's we definitely bring this up outside of the classroom, but I feel like it's a great place to bring it up now because we all experience that right zoom fatigue, we experience all the hardship of uh, Always talking to a screen like we are right now, but I think your approach as you described is very much positive and inspiring. So I would want to hear more um, of your take on how this transition felt and maybe some advice or, or tips and tricks for people who are experiencing Zoom fatigue or who aren't as familiar with the tool and how to better leverage all of these tech tools.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Shakin. I'll talk a little about that. And by the way, I'm not a I'm not a Zoom expert by any means. I feel like every time, you know, every couple of weeks there's a new feature in Zoom that I'm learning about. I learned just about the, uh, the closed caption today on Chrome. Thank you so much, uh, team. But, you know, for me, I would say a couple of things. One is, you know, because I, I uh, work in technology, I know a lot of the technology tools. So I've been using, you know, um, video conferencing technology for a long time. I've done Cisco WebEx, I've done uh, Bl- uh, Blue Jeans. Blue Jeans was the preferred uh, video conferencing tool at like Goldman Sachs. And then quickly when the pandemic hit, you know, we rolled out Zoom for everyone at Goldman as well. And I know we've been using Zoom at our Ascend as well as at NYU. I think, I think for me, you know, I've always been very curious about how I could take a, you know, advantage and use modern tools. So I've been always looking for opportunities to, and now talking about being a professor, how do I take tools and actually make it into something effective for learners and students? So I had the opportunity maybe two years ago to start teaching asynchronously in addition to in class and teaching asynchronously is very different obviously you have to record a lot of these videos you have to create exercises that hopefully continue to create engagement and opportunities for people uh, students to connect with not only with me but the content as well as with each other and i actually you know made a decision right before the pandemic i was i think it was like around december of last year that i wanted to invest more in technology to make my classes better, especially the async. So I took advantage of what you know, NYU offers. I mean, number one, I would say NYU offers tremendous you know, resources and people that if you are inclined to work with, whether it's uh, you know, SPS case, whether it's the NYU IT uh, in the labs, I think it's, it's a tremendous opportunity for all professors to take advantage of because going back to one of the lessons learned is I always wanna learn new things every day. I wanna be better tomorrow. And I really made a decision that I wanted to invest in this. So I actually went to NYU IT and I spent a lot of time there with some of the consultative people that worked there, recorded a lot of videos and made them better, used some of the newer tools. And, you know, I have uh, NYU to thank a lot for me to, you know, transition fairly easily to Zoom when that happened during the pandemic. So that's one. And I just think that most of us don't realize how much is out there that we can actually learn from uh, the institution. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I think we learn from each other, right? And some of the professors who are really good with using Zoom, some of the professionals I know really good. And this is something that all of you should know that, you know, we today feel like we're going to learn things because we're going to learn it ourselves, right? We're going to become the experts, we're going to look at that content, we're going to look at that video, we're going to read. But as you become, you know, more, you know, advanced in your career, learning takes a different form right learning takes a form of wow in order for me to keep up i can't just spend my time learning directly with the content i have to learn from others so a lot of my learning also now comes from my network people that i trust people that i know are a lot more advanced and a lot more uh, subject matter experts in certain areas so i could call up someone and you know they're prob- they're working at zoom right and i could ask them about something I could call someone up and ask them about e-commerce technology because they're doing something there. So learning takes a different form as you advance your career. And that's something that I tell you now, because as you think about creating your network, that network is going to be your learning, you know, uh, management system, quite frankly, in the future, because those are the people that you're going to bounce ideas off of share, you know, share thoughts, you know, ask questions. So, I do really feel that the other part of what I felt like was successful is because I could learn from other people.
1: Thank you so much for that. I, I really like the the same you said about learning and how how it takes a different form now. I actually learned so much from the council over the summer, so much at Ascent uh, and you know, it's really it really comes from having conversations with different people. And I kind of wanted to transition this into a question about how you would relate so all of this learning to I wanna talk about the project management field because I feel like it's a word that's extremely ambiguous for a lot of people and I wanted to definitely demystify it because all of us are project managers. At the end, after I started this program, I thought it was, I pictured something else, right? But I really want to hear your take on what project management means, especially after all these years in in the tech industry and after your various positions. I would definitely want to hear um, how project management not only is a learning field, but it's also highly applicable to when it comes to a crisis, especially with the pandemic. So, uh, yeah, definitely want to hear more about that. And
3: I, I think we're such on the same wavelength. I just wrote that in the chat. Professor Pei, all Shakin would talk about is how amazing your class is. And so I think it would be unfair to everyone to not hear on what is project management, right? It sounds so cool. And I think it's so funny that we just, you know, same wavelength. So the second yeah. I said it, you
1: put it in the <laughs> chat and I was like, what just happened? <laughs> amazing.
2: Yeah, so thank you for that question. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about project management. You know, uh, when I first was asked to teach uh, the MIS class at NYU, it was not in the project management um, major, but it was actually in the MIS major, I think the management of systems major. But this class that I teach at uh, project management is very similar. So I'm able to teach both. But for me, you know, project management is really ultimately about managing risk. It's all about risk management and everything we do whether it's a project that we do you know that takes 30 minutes that we can handle ourselves or it takes you know i've been on projects that take two and a half years um and we need you know so many different people from many different organizations to execute it's all about risk management and then risk management is a very big word and it's not just about having a rich register but how do you make sure that the ultimately the project gets done and I think as a leader and a manager today, you know, we are all doing projects, right? Our projects can be, I need to go to a meeting and talk about certain key components that uh, happened yesterday for my customers that were taking, you know, um, Marcus loans. That's a small project. I need to prepare for it. I need to get certain messages out. I need to come out of that meeting with clear deliverables and next steps. And that to me is a small project. The big projects are, as an example, when you know, um, one of the companies I work for acquired another $200 million company, and we had to develop a project plan, multiple project plans, and figure out how we're gonna integrate that company. How do we figure out which technologies to use, which businesses we're gonna keep, or even what people we're gonna you know, actually uh, combine teams. So that's a huge project team. That required tons of project managers from both parts of the organization. So to me, project management is about risk. And when you think about, you know, every small thing to every large thing that you're doing every day, to me, it's about project management. And when I tie it back to the class I teach, I try to teach a real life, you know, project. And as as Shakine knows, every module has a specific topic around technology, but I try to incorporate that into a real project where our uh, my class is developing ultimately a real life system. And they're going through all the different elements of project management, whether it's um, managing the financial risk, managing the customer risk, you know, managing different parts of the project. So, I build a scaffolding, which I call, and it's a common techno- uh, word that we use. Where every week after a lesson, I try to apply that to the project that they need to um, ultimately hand in. So every week, they have something they have to do as a group to make sure that they can get to the final project that I teach, and it's a real life project, and I think very relevant because ultimately it's an e-commerce platform for our company to go global. Um, But to me, the project management is so important these days because, and the major is very important because it's about how do you go in an organization and have these skills so that you're understanding how to mitigate a risk so that you can ultimately deliver what your client wants to do. So that's how I view it. And I do think that project management used to go through different ebbs and uh, waves right now. before, when the organizations and the tech companies like we have today weren't as prevalent, project managers were all about these large projects, right? These you know, Y2K projects or multi-year projects, and you need a lot of project managers. Then you kind of evolved into, well, there's a lot of agile work that, that's being done. Do we still need project managers? And the answer is yes, actually, because a lot of these different agile, um, agile programs do require overall project governance and uh, project programming. And then finally, now we're at a very balanced state in the industry where I feel like there's a lot of project managers being hired for discrete projects, especially in tech. And they realize companies like Facebook, Google, et cetera, they all realize that they need project managers that are technical, so technical project managers. They also need project managers that are kind of overall project managers for the governance and the program management. So I think both are really uh, necessary from my observation. Um, And that's why I think this program that, you know, many of you part of is very important because it teaches you opportunities on how to manage risk in a, a project, whether it's small or whether it's really large.
1: Thank you so much for that description. I think, I hope that this clarified what project management means to everyone here, because I for sure came with a few assumptions about it, right? But then the more I learned, I realized we're all project managers and we may not call risk management, risk management, because it's really just thinking ahead and things like, you know, work breakdown structures and uh, All the matrices that we create, these are all very much formalized, but all of these things we do already at a certain extent whenever we prepare for an event. Project management for me gave me just the tools to do what we already do, just a a little bit more structure and organization. Speaking of all of that, we do have some more questions that are kind of derived from time management, from structuring your life, and also just choosing the right career path. Because for me, project management really resonated when I when I read the description of the course and I realized, wow, I'm in general, like I'm a stressed person. So I always think about all the scenarios and then project management is actually a formalized way of doing that. So I was like, how great, you know, it really helped me uh, pave the way to any project. But um, so for me, this is when I knew that I guess this is the right career path. So I know in the chat, we have a question from Astrid who is asking about how do you know you made the right career path? path move how do you know you made the right choice um and how do you differentiate that from uh, maybe making a rushed move right because right now i feel like there's just so much at hand we're presented with so many options we may not know if we made the right decision so would you have any tips on figuring out if we made the right choice
2: yeah i would say a couple of short things on that and i'm i'm curious what other people think but number one like for me uh, similar to how I learned today, I do bounce my career choices and decisions, major decisions I've made in the past with various mentors and um, that were former colleagues. So I have probably a handful of mentors that I always bounce these career choices off of to make sure that where I am today, you know, what am I, what am I about to do next? I'll do these things make sense. And sometimes I even talk to them about, you know, major opportunities that I would get and whether or not I should take it. So for example, when I was at CIT and I was running technology for a division, they asked me to also run operations. And I thought, I knew that was like a big opportunity, but it would be like a very stressful opportunity. And I ran that by a few mentors and they told me about, you know, what would I gain out of it and what would I lose? So I went through that analysis and with the the right mentorship, I did take on that um, opportunity. Although I had to travel pretty much every week, but, um, you know, sometimes travel is fun in the beginning, but not in the long run, but I learned a lot. So bouncing ideas and decisions off your mentors is very important. Um, Number two, it doesn't feel like, so one of the things, it doesn't feel like work sometimes when you're actually having fun and it's well integrated into your life. So the other, I think, uh, telltale sign is that, you know, you made the right decision if you actually make the decision And then you feel like this is an amazing opportunity and it doesn't feel like work. It just kind of flows. Call, you know, I call it the flow. And lastly, um, you know, because I've encouraged all of you and I encourage myself in my life to try different things, you know, just because you made a decision doesn't mean that you have to live with that forever. Right. And it's great that you made some mistakes as well, because that'll actually inform you and give you more data on what the right opportunity is. So for example, Um, not many people know this, but when I started at Goldman Sachs, I was there three years right out of school. And this was, I think before I started my MBA, I had the opportunity to, after three years at Goldman to join another company and run a large group. It was like the first time that I had that opportunity. And I talked to a few of my mentors at the time. I didn't have a lot of the mentors I have today and they thought it was a great opportunity. So I actually left Goldman Sachs for, Literally six months, and when I got there, this organization—the uh, organization was Paine Webber. They no longer exist. They, you know, I totally was blown away by how much, you know, different it was culture-wise than at Goldman. And I quickly realized my success three years in Goldman Sachs was probably twenty percent me and eighty percent Goldman at the time because I was learning a lot. Right, it wasn't about me at that time. But unfortunately, I made the decision to leave. And actually go to this other company, but one of the other lessons learned is that you never burn your bridges. You always make sure that you exit any company gracefully because you don't know what that relationship is gonna uh, mean for you in the future. So after six months, I actually went back to Goldman Sachs because my manager said he actually called me and said, "How are you doing there?" And I said, "Not great. This is what I found." It's like come back, and I went back and I stayed another twelve years. Right, so. I think it's amazing that you know you if you have the right people that you work with and you treat people fairly, they always remember that. Even if you're doing something uh, that you may view as wow, you know, they're never going to talk to me again because I'm leaving them. That was not the case. All my jobs I've ever had in my career is because of people. I've never went through a recruiter. I, you know, I never you know I never applied for jobs online. It's all because of recruiters. i uh, sorry. All because of contacts that I had because I've always made sure that I've had good relationships and exit companies gracefully so that they understand and don't leave them on alert, right? If they need like two months of transition, I definitely would do that as well. But those are the small tips, you know, I would say leverage your mentors, right? Um, definitely, you know, if you feel like this is, if you take the opportunity, it feels like it's going well, it doesn't feel like work, you have that flow, I think you made that right opportunity. And lastly, don't be afraid to you know, take the plunge make a mistake. And if you have to, you will come back uh, as long as you exit it gracefully. So those are the three things I would share.
1: Thank you so much, Professor, for that. I think that definitely helped out. I hope it helped out your question, right, Astrid, um, about, you know, career choice. I know we have a few minutes left, but I did want to add the last question in the chat, and then I'll give it back to April for announcements. The last question, if you could answer um, briefly, is juggling all these priorities, right? I know you listed so many things that you're doing. All of us are doing the most here, right? And we really sometimes struggle with time management and prioritization. So how would you um, tackle that?
2: Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I would say the practical answer is I don't sleep enough, probably. Uh, That's one. Um, So I've been advised to get more sleep, but you know, I I feel like I have so much to do that I can't. But I'm able to It's okay. I'm able to survive with that limited number of sleep. I would say the way I approach this is, you know, I don't think of it as like, you know, work versus life balancing. I think of it as it's a life and everything blends together. It's not about work-life balance. I think it's about work-life integration, quite frankly. I've integrated my work and my life together so that 24 by seven, everything I do, it doesn't feel like work. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you know, life, it's like all together. And I view it that way because, especially during this pandemic where you can kind of sit in front of your Zoom screen forever, right? You need to be able to integrate breaks. You need to be able to integrate meals, uh, you know, uh, non-screen time. So I really feel like, um, you know, it's more about integration. And I hate to break it to, I'm sure a lot of you know, but I hate to break it to you, like successful people in their career don't just work five days a week, right? They actually work weekends too. I mean, I, I'm, I'll i be very honest with you. Maybe people will say they don't, but we all work seven days a week. There's always things that we have to do. And that's the reality. Because you work seven days a week, uh, whether it's checking email, working on presentations, assignments, we have to think about how do we integrate our lives better between work as well as um, play. So that's the way I think about it as opposed to juggling many things. I just think about how it all integrates together. I get some of the best Pleasures of out of small things where I could do something for work, I could do something for you know my personal life, and somehow they integrate well together. Right? And I feel like I'm optimizing my time. So I guess I'm. Um, I guess I you know um, I'm trying to think of a good example for that, but sometimes I can't come up with one right now. But I do integrate a lot of my components of what I work on together. I've also enjoyed the opportunity it's during this pandemic to have you know start a lot of new hobbies. You know in the beginning I started like playing guitar and you know trying to mix drinks and you know some of those are you know fads in the beginning and I really want to keep up with it but you know I do think that this pandemic has allowed us to really try different things as well and really feel like which ones really will integrate well uh, in my life the one thing that I would say I tried that and it has integrated well into my life is um, believe it or not photography you know I started taking a lot of pictures um and uh, i really like taking pictures and i'm trying to figure out what to do with all these pictures that i've accumulated uh at some point someone suggested you know starting like a anonymous instagram for something but i'm not sure about that uh, but you know i'm gonna do something with it quite frankly and i'm gonna figure out how to do that you know again integrate it into my life
1: thank you so much i really like the advice you gave out right integration uh, i remember in one of the Ascend meetings you mentioned you schedule time for meals so that at that time you have to step away and eat which is so helpful and a great reminder to take time out um so we have two minutes left i hope that's enough for you april for announcements but once again thank you so much for all of the insights and thank you april for stepping in and helping out and astrid for setting up the mentee so uh, yeah april all to you for announcements
3: This was absolutely amazing. Everything you said, especially here at the end, I'm like, yes, like, absolutely. I could completely agree with that. I know everyone at NYU, SPS specifically, I think has so much going on at once, right? And the the concept of delegation, and Sue will attest to this, for a lot of us, it's like, do you mean delegate what what does that mean like we have to do it you know so i think when you talk about management is different than just you know doing management also entails that ability to delegate and to give out tasks so everything you mentioned is really um i think fit well with you know our transition and um, everything that we do here at SPS. so thank you so much for doing that and for Your advice, and really your time. Um, I know you're very busy, so this really meant a lot. Um, So on behalf of both councils, the events committee, um, and all of SPS, we thank you for being here. And then to everyone else, I hope you really enjoyed it. I know we always have really fabulous speakers, like I said at the beginning. Thank you so much again, Professor Pei. That's it for me.
0: Thank you to Professor Stephen Pei. Join us in the next episode for John O'Malley. Professor of Marketing and Management Courses at the NYU School of Professional Studies, with experience in multiple major corporations such as Macy's, Barney's New York, and Saks Fifth Avenue. The SBS Replay podcast is produced by the students of the NYU School of Professional Studies Student Council with
1: Aggie Dent Allie Weaver
3: April Cardena
1: Ariana Olivas Shakeen Tao Shirley Law
0: Shubra Mishra Tien Wing. Special thanks to the NYU School of Professional Studies Office of Student Life. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SBSUSC and at SBSGSC. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode. Take care.